invite you to turn to Romans chapter 15. If you know, you know. So, believe it or not, we have three weeks left in the book of Romans. And I was just thinking about this. We really have had a heavy duty dose of the, of the Apostle Paul over this last season. So one, we spent 18 months in the book of Romans, of course. Uh, ladies, you've been studying the book of Philippians this fall, and then in the spring, the ladies will also be studying the book of Ephesians. And of course, this may have been the first time for some of you to really get an up-close and personal look at Paul's theology, his life, his, his ministry. And if this has piqued your interest in learning some more about the Apostle Paul or the history of the early church, here's a great opportunity to sort of put on your radar. This time next year, we're planning a Footsteps of Paul trip that will be to Greece and Turkey. It's sort of a hybrid land cruise tour, 10 days. They'll be touring, teaching, fellowship, going to go to places like Athens and Ephesus in Philippi. If you're at all interested in that, we're going to be having an info lunch next Sunday after the second service, Gallery 14. That's November 20th, where we'll be serving what kind of food? Not Turkish delight, but Greek food, absolutely. So even if you have a 5% chance that you might be interested in something like this, we would love to, to see you there. So sign up online or at the Hub so that we can plan accordingly. Now, some of the things that we are going to see on that tour are things that we are getting an up-close and personal look at right here in Romans 15 and 16, including Corinth. Now, why is Corinth important? Corinth is generally understood, agreed upon by most scholars, theologians, to be the place where, Apostle, where the Apostle Paul penned this letter to the church in Rome. It's probably mid to late 50s AD. Paul had been an apostle probably some 10 years up to this point. And he's wintering in Corinth, and he is writing a letter to the church in Rome, a church, by the way, that he had never visited. That's going to be relevant when we get to that part of the story in just a second. But remember from Romans chapter 1, this was 18 months ago where we talked about this. Remember what, why Paul was writing this letter. There were several reasons, but one of the principal reasons is Paul says, I want to come visit you, Romans so that you can support me as I launch off into my fourth missionary journey. I'm going to Spain. I want to go to the furthest reaches of the known world at the time to proclaim the gospel. And this was Paul's plan. And this is one of the reasons why he's writing. Now, as we unpack the passage this morning, I think what you're going to come to appreciate rather quickly is that for Paul, this was more than a plan. For Paul, this was a dream. For Paul, this is, this is on his spiritual bucket list, right? You sense that this dream is deep. It is powerful. It's animated Paul. It's something that he's waited years to do. It's something he's prayed for, planned for. He's been thinking about it. That all sort of comes out in the text. And it really helps to remind us that it's, I don't ask you this morning if you have dreams, right? We all do. I simply ask you, what are yours? What are the things that stir your heart? What are the things that you've been longing for, praying for, waiting for? Because some of us wrestle with broken dreams, deaths, illnesses, 
financial situations that didn't turn out like we want. Some of us have been praying for dreams. We have gospel dreams. We want to see God do something here in our children's lives or in our marriage or in our work or in our finances. And sometimes those, those prayers seem, seemingly go unanswered. Or maybe God has said, wait. Or maybe just God has given a big fat no. And we have to make sense of that. What do we do with those things? How do we wrestle with them? What does it mean to walk faithfully in the face of God in light of unfulfilled wishes and desires? And I think Paul's story this morning is going to really help us, folks. So this morning we're going to be in Romans 15. We're going to begin in verse 14 and read through the end of the chapter. This gives us one of the most intimate portraits of the Apostle Paul in all of, all of his letters. Second Corinthians is a very personal letter, but here we sort of get a, a sneak peek into the dreams of the Apostle Paul. So let's stand, let's read God's word together. Let's begin at verse 14 in Romans 15. Hear the word of God, for Oaks. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. There, by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, 
so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. God, we just want to come to you as your people and tell you, Lord, we have dreams. We have things that we want to do. We have things that we want to see you do. We have relationships that we want you to work in. We want you to give life. We want you to move in powerful ways and to change hearts. But Lord, we are also confronted with the reality that sometimes you give us an answer to our prayers that we don't want or don't understand or don't expect. And so, Father, help us to fix our eyes upon you this morning. And Lord, teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your seats. There's three things about Paul's life, his ministry, that I want you to see from this text, and we're going to relate it to us. So first of all, we're going to look at Paul's mission. Secondly, Paul's dream. And lastly, Paul's prayer. And if I could, I could also have entitled that last point, Paul's unanswered prayer, or Paul's, or God's unexpected answer to Paul's prayer, as we'll see. So let's look at, first of all, Paul's mission. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul makes it very clear that he is a minister by, he is a minister of Jesus Christ by nothing less than the sheer grace of God. And if you know Paul's story, you, you know how this is unfolded, right? Paul, chosen by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus to persecute and kill Christians, Jesus appeared to him and radically transformed his life. He turned his life literally upside down. Let's think about who Paul was before he became a Christian. He was a prominent Jewish leader. He was affluent, as all Pharisees were. He was very comfortable. He was powerful. He had the, the power of the sword on his side. He held a, a prestigious position. He studied under the greatest religious leaders, um, um, Judaic leaders at the time. And here, Jesus shows up and turns Paul's world upside down. And if you get a snapshot of Paul's life of what happened, this ushered Paul into just untold hardships. He tells us in 2 Corinthians he was in prison multiple times. He was hungry, he was cold, he was homeless. He ran afoul of the law. He, there was public riots, there were threats of death. And let's just imagine for a second, you may say, well, Pastor Paul, that does not sound like a popular gig, right? I, I, that, that's not what my dream is. That's what I haven't been praying for. And neither had Paul before he came to know Christ. Yet, when Paul has his life turned upside down, listen to the way he describes his calling. Look at verse 16. He says, Priests, I was engaged, or I have been called to the priestly service of the gospel of God. Now, that is Old Testament language. That is Old Testament Levitical priestly language. Remember, in the Old Covenant, it was, it was the highest of honors to be a Levite. They had no inheritance in the land, 
but they had been set aside to minister in the very presence of God. Now, when we come to the Advent story soon next month, one of the stories we'll be reminded of is Zechariah, who is Zechariah. He was the father of John the Baptist. He was of the tribe of Levi. And he was chosen by lot to go and minister in the inner part of the temple. And understand something, if you were a priest, that opportunity came around maybe if you were lucky, or I would say providential, once in your life. It was done by lot, it was the highest of honors, and so what you, what you did on that day is you had a party. You invited all your friends, all your relatives, they all huddled around and watched you um, do your, um, you know, go into the inner sanctum to do your religious duties and your service, and they would all celebrate. And Paul says, that's me. And again, and again, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we are affluent, comfortable Americans. And as John Piper once shared, he got a, a card from one of overseas missionaries in which in the card it says, yuppies make yucky missionaries. If you don't know what a yuppie is, ask your grandfather, okay? Or ask your parents, right? Paul says, not me. I have been chosen to serve in God's very presence. And Paul says the sacrifice that he's bringing to God is not blood. It's not an offering of fire or incense or bulls and goats. Paul says the offering that I'm offering back up are the changed lives of the Gentiles that God has entrusted to me as part of my ministry. This is my offering, God. You have poured grace out on me, and through me, grace has been poured out on the Gentiles, and so I'm offering it back up to you. And guys, this is just a reminder for us that Paul's life is just a stark contrast to what we might think are worthwhile investments of time and energy and labor in this life. We are reminded, just like when we sang in that song, It Is Well With My Soul, this life is temporary. It is fading. It is a mist. It, is, it, it evaporates. And the only things that will endure are the things done in the service of Christ. And Paul totally understood that. That's why he, he could say, even though my life has been turned upside down, even though my dreams of being this, again, very public, religious leader, powerful, affluent, influential, even though that's been totally turned upside down, I count it as something by the grace of God. And listen to what he says in verse 17. And if you know Paul, this is going to sound very strange. And this is also, by the way, proves the axiom that you can quote scripture and commit heresy, all right? So if you, if you do this out of context, so listen to what Paul says in verse 17. He says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, we could read that statement out of context and say, Paul would be perfectly at home in our digital age, right? Paul, Paul is garnering likes. He's He's building his platform. He's an influencer, whatever that is. He devel he's developing his brand, ApostlePaul.com, whatever. But what Paul says next about this should be emblazoned across every leader's forehead. It should, be, it should be the little note card on your mirror. We should put it over the entrance to the church. 
You need to put it as a plaque on your house. It should be on your business. It should be in your home. Listen to what Paul says about this idea of being proud of his work of God. Look at verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything, anything, except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles by, to obedience by word and deed. Imagine that was your new axiom that you apply to your social media interactions, right? I'm not going to speak of anything related to me except what has been accomplished by the sheer grace of God. In other words, Paul says, I, have reason, I do have reason to be proud of my work, but only because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says much the same thing. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was an extraordinary person, right? And in fact, one of the things that we could say here, and, and it would be a mistake to say it, is, well, Pastor Paul, we, we get that the Apostle Paul, almighty apostle to the Gentiles, writer of Scripture, um, we, we, we get that he was an amazing man. He was an apostle, but, but I'm not an apostle. I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I'm just a regular dude or regular lady. I'm just working my job. I'm trying to provide for my family. I'm trying to get into school. I'm trying to figure out who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? What are the contours of my life? Where, what's, how, how, what, what is the scope of my life look like? What does this have to do with me? And here's what I want to show you from this text, folks. That while the scope of your work may be different than the Apostle Paul's, and the scope of, of my work may be different than the Apostle Paul's, we still share the same mission. It's just the scope that's different. Look at verse 20. Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So, here, so Paul had a mission to reach the Gentiles, to preach the gospel. But he says, here, here was my specific focus of my mission, Paul says. The mission Christ gave me was to go to the places to preach the gospel where no one had ever been preached to before. Those places where Jesus has not been known or proclaimed. That was his unique gifting. His, his, his was a call for frontier missions. Here, his was a call for what I would call Star Trekian theology, right? To boldly go where no man has gone before. That is the Apostle Paul. And I want you to think about this. That every city that Paul went into, whether it's Thessalonica or Corinth or Philippi, he was like the Lewis and Clark of the gospel. You know, Lewis and Clark took the journey across um, the Louisiana Purchase. They laid their eyes on land and animals and mountain ranges that no human being, or at least no European, had ever seen before. Can you imagine what that would be like? That was the Apostle Paul. Every city that he would come into, they did not even know who Jesus was. 
had never heard of Jesus. And it was Paul's unique calling and gifting to take the gospel where the gospel had not been taken. And when he says that he desired not to build on another foundation, what he's saying is, I don't feel God has called me to go into a community that already has a church and to set up a church across the street and steal the sheep from that church to come over to this church. Now, that sounded worse than, it, than I meant it, right? But that was, that, 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 that was Paul's mission. I want to complete the work in those regions where Jesus has not been known. So in other words, Paul says, I've laid the foundation. I've established the gospel presence. And it's not that every person in those cities where Paul established the gospel or planted a church, it's not that every person has been reached in that city. Paul just says, my job's been done. My job's done. I go on to the next place and sort of scrape out that sort of that church from the dirt of the ground. But Paul says, but now, when I leave a place, I pass the gospel torch to whom? Who is it for, Oaks? To you. To me. To us. He's, he said, Timothy, so this is, what, this, is what, this is what would happen. Paul would plant a church, and then he would leave one of his associates or friends in that city to establish that church, to pastor that church. So he left, for example, Timothy in Ephesus. He left Luke in Philippi. He told Timothy to go and establish elders at every church that Paul had planted. And in this way, Paul says, your job now as believers is as the gospel has been established is to plant your life right there. And it's not that you're not on mission. It's just the scope of your mission is different. It's not that you aren't to go. It's just a matter of where we go to. See, Paul says, I'm going to where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed before, Oaks. You're going to your neighbors. You're going to your coworkers. You're going to the people in your, in your dorm, in your classroom, the person that works right next to you, the, the, the neighbor right down the street. I've established the gospel but now I have passed the gospel torch to you. And I want you to think about this for a second. Every one of us are here today because somebody heard the mission of the Apostle Paul and says, that's not just for leaders, that's not just for elders, that's not just for pastors, that's not just for the spiritually elite. We're all a priesthood. But God, you have given me a specific mission. Show me what that is. For some of you, it's your kids. For some of you, it's your employees. It's some of you, it's your, it's your relatives, your family members. It's those that God has situated in your life. Guys, understand something. A lot of times, pastors can make parishioners feel guilty because they're not going to foreign lands, because they're not going overseas, right? But guys, let me just tell you, most people don't go. Most people shouldn't go. God has called some, like the Ketchens. You guys are the Ketchens. They know jujitsu. That's the best way to describe them, right? They, they know jujitsu. They're going to Vietnam. They are frontier missions, but they would be the first to tell you that's not, that's not everybody's scope. 
but your scope is right here, right now, today. And so, Christian, I have to ask you before we leave this point, do you see your vocation as a holy vocation? There's not this distinction between here are the spiritual areas of my life, Pastor Paul, and here are the professional areas, and here are the business areas. It all belongs to him. And God has set us in a time and a place where we have taken the gospel torch from someone, and now we are passing it to someone else. So do you see that your mission is the same as the Apostle Paul's mission? Your, your scope is different. The circumstances are different, but the calling is the same. All right, let's go to point number two. That was Paul's mission, but now let's get into the heart of this text. What was Paul's dream? Now look in verse 23, and it's here that Paul begins to lay out his plan, his intention. And he tells us here that it's his desire to come to Rome. And Paul says, from Rome, which he had never visited before, by the way, he was not the one who established that gospel work in Rome. That was one of the reasons he hadn't been to Rome. A gospel work had already been started there. We don't know who or under what circumstances. But Paul says, I'm coming to visit you so that you can launch me onto my missionary journey in Spain. Now, I want you to see just sort of the intimate portrait of Paul here. This is not just a wish. This is not just a, a simple desire. But this is, a, this, this is a personal dream. Look at back at the text. He says, I've longed for many years. I want you to think about that for a second. What have you longed for many years for? Some of you I know have been longing for certain things for many years. And this is something that God has set in your heart. It's something that's captivated you. It's something you've prayed about. You've talked to your community group about. You've, you've shared with your, with your spouse. That word long, it really means intense craving. Paul says, I've had an insatiable desire, a dream to go to you and then on to Spain. Now understand, when Paul says, I desire to come to you, he was not coming to Rome as a, as a sightseer, okay? This was not a tourist trip like we're going to take next summer. It's not like one of those. This is a, this was a, this was a desire Paul had to go and minister to the people of Rome, but just in a temporary way so that they could send him on to Spain. Now, when we think about this, the reason Paul wanted to go to Spain is that at the time, it was the furthest reaches of the known world. Okay, at, at, at the time, there was Spain, which was the gateway to Germania, which was the gateway to the British Isles. These were, at the time, the remotest regions of the known world. And for this, in this dream, they're represented by the words, look at verse, look at verse 23, but now, let me just ask you this again. What is the but now in your life? The dream, the thing that you've longed to do. Maybe it's a place to travel, a place to see, an event, a hobby, 
And there's nothing wrong with those things. But let me press the point a little further, okay? Brooks, do you have gospel dreams? Do you have things that you want to see God do specifically in your life? Or the life of those you love? Is there, is there some mission that you would say, you know, God, if, I, if, if you could just show up here and do this particular thing, this is what I'm asking you to do. Life, marriage, family, job. Do you have a gospel dream? If not, why not? If not, what would it take for you to have one? You might simply begin by asking God, would you implant in my heart what you want me to do? Lord, would, would you give me a vision for something beyond just my little bubble right here? Lord, would you, would you give me a heart for people? Would you give me a heart for ministry? Would you, would you give me a vision for what it means to leverage my life for your glory? That, that's Paul. Now, Paul, in the, when he says the but now, he's saying that this is something that's been in his heart for a long time, but he's been prevented from doing it until this point. Now, let's go back to the text for a second. And let's, I want, if I had a map here, I would draw this out for you. Paul says, before I go to Rome... And before I launch off to Italy, he says, I first have to go to Jerusalem. Now, again, here's the map. Okay, so think about Corinth is the midpoint between Rome and Jerusalem. Corinth is sort of like the Tallahassee to Jacksonville in Pensacola, except multiply the distances by two. And again, this is the ancient world. Paul says, here I am in Corinth. And before I travel the 800 miles over here to Rome, he says, first of all, I've got to travel the 700 miles to Jerusalem. He said, I've got to travel to Jerusalem, and once I travel that 700 miles, then I will take a ship back 1,500 miles to Rome. And then and only then will I take a ship the last 800 miles to go to Spain. Because you can see that this is, this is, not a, this is a complex dream. There, there is, this, this is something that is going to take planning and strategy and prayer and patience. Now, we have to ask, here's the question, what would possess Paul to do that? What would possess Paul to say, pause on his dream? Because he could have gone right to Rome, couldn't he? That would have been so much shorter, so much easier. He could have hopped the ship right over to, to Rome, stayed a few weeks, hopped over to Spain. But instead, he's got a journey all the way to Jerusalem, the opposite direction. And he says, and then and only then am I going to be free to come to you. Guys, it's a reminder of something, I think. That sometimes we have to say no for a season to our dreams, don't we? Sometimes... God may have put something in our hearts, something that's stirring, but we, we can't quite get there until we deal with this. We can't quite get there until we deal with that. There's something unexpected that happens. 
there is some sort of illness, there is some sort of death, there is there's some sort of diversion of course. There's something that makes us question, is the dream even possible at all? But for Paul, Paul says, the reason I'm not coming to you is I have to go to them. I have to go to the church in Jerusalem. Now, now what was this about? What, what would be so important that Paul would say, I'm going to hit pause on my dream in order to, to go to the saints in Jerusalem? Now, remember in Jerusalem, church, this was a church of extreme poverty. This was a church that had been born out of Pentecost, remember, and while other parts of the empire were flourishing and more affluent, the church in Jerusalem was suffering. This was the birth of the New Testament church, right? This is where Pentecost happened, and so what Paul would do is he would travel around to his different churches, and he would take up an offering, and he would say, hey, just as the Jews were the forefathers of your faith, and just as they leveraged their lives and their resources and their people so that you could have the gospel, now in their time of need, give back to them. That's what Paul is describing here. Look at verse 27. He says, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. In other words, the reason Paul hit pause on his dreams is he says there is a need in the body of Christ. There, 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 there is a place that desperately needs the attention of the rest of the church. In a word, the reason Paul hits pause on his dream is because of generosity. He knows, and what he's teaching us in this text, is that mission and generosity always go hand in hand. You cannot fulfill the mission in a human sense without the generosity of God's people. And Paul is saying, hey, just as they gave it all for you, now you engage in the mutual sharing and support of them. That's the way the gospel works. And look at verse 24. And Paul says, once I do that, I want to come to you so that I can be helped on my journey. Guys, that word helped, it's a technical term. It means to resource and send. It's like a sending term. This, this, this was a pattern in the New Testament, of course, that those who were ministering the gospel, those who were carrying forth the mission of the gospel, would be supported by the rest of the body of Christ. This is what we saw repeatedly in the life of Paul. So when he planted the church in Lydia, he had a planted the church in Philippi, he had a patron by the name of Lydia. We're going to learn next week about Phoebe. She was Paul's patron in Corinth. We see this in the life of Jesus. Remember, when Jesus would travel around with his disciples, we know that he was very close friends with the family of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Why? Because they financially supported him. And Paul says, this is the way that the kingdom of God works. Without generosity, the mission doesn't go forward. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Philippians, Philippians 1. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, 
No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Church, it's just, just a, a parting comment before we leave this point and we find out what happens to Paul's, to Paul's dreams here. That you as a church family have been extraordinarily generous in the history of this church. Guys, by, by, by your generosity, we have been able to launch two congregations in the city. We have sent untold resources and people. And sometimes, guys, let's be honest, sending resources and people, that's a painful thing, isn't it? As Tim Keller says, we, to be a kingdom-minded means oftentimes having to say goodbye. But you have excelled in the grace of giving, and because of that, you have allowed us to accomplish gospel dreams. And let me just say, as we, as we enter this season, which is typically moves towards the end of the year and organizations and nonprofits are calling for financial giving and generosity, let, let me just say, guys, if, if you're new to this church, we are, we are so thankful that you've been able to receive ministry from this church. But one of the great joys that we have as the people of God is to be partners in the gospel together. That we leverage everything that we have, not just our money, although it's not less than that, but our time, our priorities, our relationships, our resources. And this is something Paul modeled from start to finish as a part of his mission. Guys, dreams don't happen, humanly speaking, apart from the generosity of the people of God. Now, Paul had a dream. It was a good dream. It was a gospel dream. But we want to try to understand best we can from the rest of this passage what happened to Paul's dream. And we get a clue, I think, when we read about Paul's prayer. That's going to be our last point. Let me read verse 30. Paul has this dream, and he asks them to pray for him in a specific way. And here's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers and on my behalf, prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now, as we're reading from the book of Acts, you need to understand that everywhere Paul went in the ancient world, chaos was sure to follow, right? He was like the pig pen in Peanuts. Wherever Paul went, okay, this cloud of dust followed him behind. He would preach in the synagogue. The Jews hated him, threw him out. He would preach in the open-air uh, theater in Ephesus. And in one day, that whole city's economy, which was built around building shrines and altars um, for, for pagan worship, collapsed. The whole city rioted, wanted to kill Paul. And so, so, so Paul understood a thing or two about danger. But as Paul was making his way around on his third missionary journey, and as he was heading back to Jerusalem, word was on the street, Paul's coming home. 
And as Paul, as the word on the street that Paul was coming home, his opponents began to plot. See, it was their plan when that Paul got to Jerusalem, they wanted to kill Paul. And this is something seemingly that Paul was very aware of. That's why he asked for prayer. He said, look, here's my dream. My, my dream is I'm coming to you, Romans, and I, then I'm going to Spain. But first of all, I have to go to, to Jerusalem. I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. God's mission, God's generosity, it compels me. It, it, I have to do this, and I'm praying. I'm praying that God would keep me safe. I'm praying that God would deliver me from the Jewish leaders because I have a dream. Well, listen to what Acts 21 tells us. This is Luke writing. This is after he's written this letter. It's after he's departed Corinth. It's as he's getting closer to Jerusalem. What happens? While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. See, he was in Judea. He knew the word on the street. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, meaning Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, you never have to under figure out where you are with Paul, right? What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we cease and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So what happens? Well, we know from Luke's account in Acts 21 and following that God did not answer this prayer of Paul's. Paul was not delivered from the hands of the Jewish leaders. As I said, it, 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 I don't want to say that God didn't answer Paul's prayer. Oh, he answered all right. He just answered in a way that Paul did not anticipate or hope or desire. And again, I have to ask you, do you, under, do you intersect with Paul's story at all at that point? Things that you've been hoping and praying for, good things, gospel things, that God has seemingly said, not yet, or you need to wait, or maybe just even a flat out no, where God has gone dark or radio silent. Or, and this is the case with Paul, maybe he answers it in a way where he, where he gives you the desires of your heart, but just not in the way that you thought. Let's go back to the text. See, Paul has this dream to go to Rome to be refreshed by the church. But Paul does go to Rome. Did you know that? Paul goes to Rome. Luke tells us this. He just doesn't go in the way that he's anticipated. Paul goes to Rome in chains. See, when Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's not spared by the religious leaders. They, they, they attack him at the temple site. And there's such a riot that the guards, the centurion guards, arrest Paul, not, not because Paul was doing something wrong, but because the people were trying to kill Paul. And Paul, as he has this thing in his heart to go on to Rome and go to Spain, finds himself in prison 
for two years totally on the sideline. And you can imagine as Paul is two years in Jerusalem, in Palestine, waiting for trial, wondering, God, what in the world are you doing? Can you relate to that? God, what, maybe you're asking yourself today, God, God what in the I don't have any sense of what you're doing here. God, I feel like what you've put in my heart is a good thing. Why, why is this happening the way it is? Well, we know ultimately, and Luke tells us this, that, that it was such a farce of a judicial process in Jerusalem that Paul ultimately appeals to Caesar, which means that Paul go, must go to Rome as a prisoner. And we find out in the book of Acts, Paul doesn't come riding in on a white horse, does he? Victorious and triumph and bringing the gospel. No, he survives a violent storm and a shipwreck. And there's even a thing about a venomous snake that's in that story. There's a whole bunch of things like that. It's just a disaster, journey, disastrous journey from start to finish. But what does Paul do once he gets there? Once he finds himself in this Roman prison, and by the way, it says that he was in this Roman prison for two years, so now we are going on four years since Paul wrote this letter that we're reading today in the Church of Romans. What did, what did Paul do? What would you do? See, much apostasy and much falling away from the faith begins, if we're quite honest, not because of some great dif theological difficulty, not because of some apologetic issue we can't get past. That's not the root of apostasy. The root of apostasy and falling away always at the very bottom has at it some broken dream. God, you did not do what I thought you would do. You did not show up the way I thought you would show up. God, your, your, your ways are inscrutable to me, and my heart becomes hardened, and I become angry, and I become embittered. But listen to what Paul does while he's in prison. Philippians 1. If you want to know, brothers, now this is Paul now, four years later in prison. Everybody got that? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what was Paul's response to the broken dream? It was to simply say, God, you have a better dream here. And it may not mean better for me in my personal comfort and affluence. But, you know, Paul goes on to write four letters from his prison cell in Rome. Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians. Does Paul write these letters apart from this imprisonment? We don't know. We know that Paul, that members of Caesar's household go on to trust and have faith in Christ because of, because of Paul's ministry and influence here while he's in prison. Do these things happen apart from Paul's broken dream? I don't know. But for the people of God, 
Every circumstance in life that happens by the providence of God is an opportunity to say, God, I don't understand, I don't know, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to leverage my life, my resources, and my time. And can you imagine the Apostle Paul? He's been all over the world. He tells us from Jerusalem to that city in Greece that I couldn't pronounce when I read the scripture, right? It's, you caught that, some of you. It's like, the world was my oyster, and now I am in a little cell. God, what? What's happened to my dreams? And God says, I'm leveraging your dreams, Paul, for my good purpose. Folks, where do you need to have Philippians 1 as sort of a banner over your life? Where do you need to be reminded, God, it's not that you've just said no. You've just said, I have something different. I have something, and this is hard, better and it may not be that it means better for right now or even better in this life luke closes the book of acts by telling us this acts 28 he lived there two whole years speaking of paul at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Guys, we're reminded that it doesn't always turn out the way we want in this life. Paul does end up going to Rome. He's there. And church history tradition tells us that he goes back to Rome a second time and that he's martyred, he's beheaded. We don't know whether Paul got to Spain or not. Church tradition says he might. We know there there was certainly the church and the gospel witness. The apostle James may have had some kind of ministry there. We, We don't know. But I think the reason we don't know is we're not supposed to know. That's not the point of the story. That if you just simply have enough faith, God will ultimately give you what you really want. That's that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to say, My life belongs to you, Lord. Let me leverage it for your glory and the good of your people and the gospel. And then God takes those things and works them in ways that we can never imagine. He did it with the Apostle Paul. He does it with his people. He'll do it for you. Let's pray.